Before you've heard the Adi toast, we will have talked about grace. Fun fact, there's only one grace, Christ's grace. But what about NASCAR? Welcome to Walk With Him. I'm Elder Blacker, and here we're still welcoming all who look to improve their lives by coming closer to their Savior. My name is Mitchell Redman, and here we're going to be discussing a variety of topics and doctrine relating to the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. There's a lot to learn from the Savior's life and ministry, and our mission here is to help you make the best decisions from the example of Jesus Christ. Life can't be perfect, but our Savior is, and that's a big W. So hopefully you'll join us as we walk with Him. You want to explain our um All righty. So thing? just in case you did not understand the which I'd be surprised if they episode. did cuz I didn't. Well, and how much are you on the internet, huh? Point taken. You get it. Um so there's Enough. a really funny audio that you can find online where they say there's only one race, the human race. And then it cuts to a guy that goes what about NASCAR? <laughs> so that's what we did. So, yeah. Funny. We're funny people, guys. I'm hilarious. I'm the funniest person I know. Anyway, so we're going to be talking about a really good talk, in my opinion. And <laughs> I think it's funny when you came over that one day and my mom's like, what are you going to record? And we're like, this talk. And then she's like, I sent you that talk during <laughs> your mission. I'm like, oh, well, I didn't read it, I guess. <laughs> oh, you didn't read it? I missed that part. I thought you had read it. No. Oh. I didn't. <laughs> okay, that kind of checks out why she reacted how she did then. Yeah. <laughs> I eventually listened to it. Mm-hmm, yeah. We are going to be talking about a talk called His Grace is Sufficient by Brad R. Wilcox. It's a really wonderful talk. He gave it at a BYU speech, which I don't know exactly what that means, like how often they have those, but regardless, he gave it to a bunch of college students and it got recorded and now anyone can go view it and we encourage you to go view it after you listen to this podcast. Yeah. Because it, it really is phenomenal, top tier of talks. Yeah. And I think it explains really well a topic that a lot of Christians, I feel, either don't understand or kind of have differing opinions of what they feel grace is. Yeah. I feel like, like most topics, it's interpreted differently, right? Yeah. Um, one thing you'll notice is that, like, our church is pretty bad at teaching grace, to be honest. <laughs> like, it just is. Like, it's not something that we talk about very much, and I'm not entirely sure why that is, but... Which we should, because it's a no, really important topic. Yeah. It just seems like we focus on different aspects of it. Of, well, like, the repentance process and life on Earth and, like, our point here on yeah. Earth. And we kind of, for whatever reason, gloss over, not faith, grace. Yeah. Because I think it kind of attributes the the culture that is in our church like there's a part in the talk where it mentions that a lot of people give up on the church because they are tired of constantly feeling like they're falling short and i feel like that attributes to a culture that unfortunately we kind of have in the church yeah and he says it himself 
it's impossible for the church to list all these high standards that we need to follow without forming a feeling of inadequacy. Yes. And so with that, I think everyone's just kind of collectively, I mean, everyone's trying, but then everyone kind of, they have this idea that they need to follow all these things in order to earn their way to heaven. Yeah. And that's simply not true. I think most of it's because as missionaries, there's like a a lot of rules you follow or you're supposed to follow, right? That take it even a step further than just the day-to-day life, right? Yeah. Where it's like, hey, don't watch TV. Like just legitimately dedicate two years of your life to the Savior and our Lord and nothing else. Yeah. Essentially consecrating yourself to the Lord is a phrase I've heard used a lot. Yeah. Um, And because of those more higher standards, right, there's even greater need of like, not need, but there's even more feeling of being inadequate, right? Yeah. And it's an even greater issue. Yeah. So it starts with a BYU student coming up to Brother Elder Wilcox? Brother. Okay. Going up to Brother Wilcox and being like, I don't understand grace, which, again, is probably a common question when people first learn about it. And so he's like, what is it you don't understand? And she's like, I know I need to do my best, and then Jesus does the rest, but I can't even do my best. And so she just gives him a list, essentially, of everything that she's not doing, because she's supposed to do it as a Mormon. And so he clarifies, Jesus doesn't make up the difference. He makes all the difference. And I think even President Nelson mentioned that in one of his talks. And so he goes on, grace is not about filling gaps. It's about filling us. And so he gives a really good outline. Like he draws a really good diagram to illustrate this. He takes a piece of paper, draws two dots, one at the top representing God, and then one at the bottom representing us. So he's like to this girl, go ahead, draw the line. How much is our part? And how much is Christ's part? So she went right to the center of the page and began to draw a line. And then kind of thinking about what he was talking about, she drew a line at the bottom, just above the bottom dot representing us. And so he says, wrong. And she's kind of confused. And he says, the truth is there is no line. So as in there's like no specific place we need to meet before he can help. So he goes on, Jesus filled the whole space. He paid our debt in full. He didn't pay it all except for a few coins. He paid it all. And so she's like, oh, yeah, right. Like, I don't have to do anything. (laughs) I kind of like the way he responds. He's like, oh, you have plenty to do, but not to fill that gap. And so I like this part a lot. What is left to be determined, this is quoting him, what is left to be determined by our obedience is what kind of body we plan on being resurrected with and how comfortable we plan to be in God's presence and how long we plan to stay there. And I really like that because it's like, well, I mean, all of us are going to be resurrected, but then depending on what we've done and how we've progressed in this life determines where we be the most comfortable staying. Yeah, and we see examples of that in the scriptures where prophets who meet the Lord are uncomfortable, right? I think um, like Moses has that vision, right? 
And then he realizes the nothingness of man. Yeah. It's just interesting. And so in Alma chapter 36, Alma is basically getting his justice for the sins that he's committed, right? Yeah. And he describes that. And it's interesting how how we see how he felt in front of God. He says, Yea, and I had murdered many of his children, or rather led them away into destruction. Yea, and in fine so great had been my iniquities, that the very thought of coming into the presence of my God did rack my soul with inexpressible horror. Which is interesting, because it says coming, like the very thought of standing before God is what's tormenting him, right? He continues to say, Oh, thought I, that I could be banished and become extinct, both soul and body, that I might not be brought to stand in the presence of my God, to be judged of my deeds. And now for three days and for three nights I was racked, even with the pains of a damned soul. And so... Pretty rough. Yeah. But I also think it's interesting that he explains what he's feeling. He's feeling the pains of a damned soul, right? Like, it's because we're not going to be comfortable in the presence of our God and his great glory, right? That we need to, as it said, do our best, right? Or at least try to do our best. Yeah. I mean, that's what all we're trying to do. There's a lot of requirements that he gives us true, but it's so we can feel our best, not just do our best, but we can feel our best before God. I think of like getting a temple recommend you're answering it's i mean it's not a lot of questions but it's a kind of a lot of requirements when you think about it but well i think it's interesting a lot of them are very like subjective where it's like hey do you have faith in jesus christ and i could say yes to that question and the prophet can say yes to that question right and there's a big difference between us yeah and so i think it's interesting that it's not measured in one way, right? It's just kind of a self-measurement, right? Yeah. Kind of just questions to think about all the time. There's another question that they... Or it's not even a question. It's just the phrase that they use. A lot of them is like, do you strive to like keep the word of wisdom? Do you strive to keep the law of chastity? Like, it's not saying... Because before it was like, do you keep the law of chastity? Or yeah. do you keep the word of wisdom? Which, I mean, you should, but I feel like the new phrasing is accounting for the fact that, I mean, we're going to mess up. That's part of it. That we're going to need grace. Yeah. Because if we think about it in that, in an absolute manner, then we're like, well, I messed up maybe that one day where I... I don't know, tried coffee or something, and I don't feel worthy to be in the temple. And I feel like there's a lot of people that have that, not that example, but that sort of mindset where they see all their inadequacy. They see whatever they may not be doing, like that one girl who lists all her faults in front of him, right? And so they think, okay, well, then I'm not worthy to go to the temple or to go to church, or it just becomes a really, just becomes a slippery slope. And then I mean, they don't go to the temple. They don't go to church. They distance themselves from the love of God. When really the temple should be a place of, I mean, in my opinion, a place of healing because you go there to learn about the covenants. You go there to help people make the covenants on the other side of the veil. 
And so if you're distancing yourself from that, you're just doing yourself a disservice. Yeah. Going into another point that he makes or an analogy about the piano player, basically, like we don't need to tear ourselves to shreds over our mistakes. Like he compares our life to like playing the piano. We don't get upset when someone hits the wrong note on the piano, right? Like the whole point is to practice and to get better. And funny enough, I had a conversation with somebody recently where they were like, they were felt like they were going to be too out of shape to go to practice, right, for their sporting event. And it's like, what? huh? right? That, it makes no sense. And we were telling him that. And we we're like, dude, <laughs> you, no, 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 no. You're missing the whole point. <laughs> like we say that about a sporting event, right? And it sounds ludicrous that like, what do you mean you can't go to practice? Because you're like, that's the whole point is you go to practice. Same thing with playing the piano. Like we, the whole point is that we practice so that we can get better. And even if we hit the wrong note a hundred times or times that by whatever number you say, right? Like we're never at a point where we're unworthy to practice. Yeah. I like the a little part that I kind of highlighted is because, so this is the analogy, right, of the kid taking piano lessons that his mom paid for which I'm sure a lot of us can relate. Um, a little, a part that I liked is that says, because mom paid the debt in full, meaning paid like the tutor, she can turn to her child and ask for something. And what is it? Practice. I think there's a, there's a talk that I really like called practicing perfection. And it's the same concept is that you go to the temple, you receive your endowments, you hear all these blessings that are given to you and then Christ turns around and says keep my commandments love thy God with all your heart and then love thy neighbor he's asking us these things because with his grace and what he's already done for us we can do these things if we try like we can repent constantly we'll be able to work towards developing and growing ourselves as we try. I remember this analogy. I don't even know who gave it to me. This kind of idea that Christ's atonement is a gift. It's the greatest gift, but it means nothing if you don't accept it and you cherish it for what it is and then use it in the way that it was intended. So Christ's atonement, what he did for us was a gift, but if you don't turn to it, as often as you can, which is all the time, then you're missing the point of what we're supposed to be doing here. Yeah. I think it's interesting that we also have like a natural desire to be more like our Savior, right? Yeah. Um, there's a wonderful talk by Michelle D. Craig. It's called Divine Discontent. And she says, each of us, if we are honest, feel a gap between where we, where and who we are and where and who we want to become. We yearn for greater personal capacity. We have these feelings because we are sons and daughters of God, born with the light of Christ, yet living in a fallen world. These feelings are God-given and create an urgency to act. And the idea of divine discontent, like what the girl with, where they drew the line, right? Mm -hmm. That's what she's talking about. And it's, I think it's important to realize that it's 
good for us to have those thoughts of like, man, I'm not living up to what I could. Yeah. Right? Like I said, it's God-given. But it's also important to balance the two ideas. Because one thing she says in her talk is like, most of us, rather than trying to um, become uh, abandon sin and be comfortable in the presence of God, far too often we're trying to abandon God and feel comfortable in sin, right? Yeah, he mentions that in his talk, actually. Oh, he does? Yeah, that exact phrase. Huh. So it's kind of interesting. But I think, I mean, like you said, there's a fine line between having that desire to improve, but then comparing yourself all the time, right? Yeah, and she actually makes a really good distinction. She says one way to to tell divine discontent from Satan's counterfeit is that divine discontent will lead us to faithful action. Divine discontent is not an invitation to stay in our comfort zone, nor will it lead us to despair. I have learned that when I wallow in thoughts of everything I am not, I do not progress, and I find it much more difficult to feel and follow the Spirit. Hmm. Interesting. I found this talk today. Like, oh, I remember. Oh, I didn't find it today. I read it as a missionary, and then something came up to where I remembered it with uh, Sister Owens. Huh. And so I was like, huh. And then it popped in my head while we were recording. And I was like, oh, let's share that. So <laughs> anyhow, that's that's uh, why I did that. Yeah. I like that because I feel like we felt both of those things as we've been here. Yeah. Like, obviously, we've kind of felt the difficulty of... Not being where we were expecting to be. Yeah. But then still having that drive to be a missionary, to serve others. And, yeah, I mean, that's an important distinction for sure, and I'm... I'm glad you brought that up because that was kind of cool. I'm going to have to read that talk now. Yeah, it's actually really good. Um, But yeah, you're right. Like we, I'm sure we've both had days where we're just like, for the entire day, we're just like, bruh, <laughs> like this, this is not true. Like this can't be, I'm supposed to be uh-huh. in my original assignment, right? I'm not supposed to be home. I'm like, yeah. And then there's other days where we feel it like, man, I'm home, and yet I'm going to do the best I can, right? Yeah. Like, I... going to serve the people that I can. Yeah. Like Ben and Hunter. Yeah. Where it's like, oh, okay. I have this desire to do what I thought I would be doing still, right? Mm Mm-hmm. And I think that's important, because even though the scenery has changed, right, like, I still want to play the best piece I can. Yeah. And it's important for me to keep trying to play the best piece I can as opposed to, ah, frick, I messed up. I'm not going to get it. And I was supposed to play my piece two weeks ago. And like, (laughs) you know, like. I like that analogy a lot because in the context of this, it makes it so much easier to see in this example, in this kind of, I'm going to say that a lot better for you. Okay. He said, why is it so easy to understand in the context of a pianist and not so easy to understand in the context of our own lives and our spirituality? Something else that I liked that he quoted, I don't know who, and it's talking about 
kind of that idea, right? That we won't be comfortable if we aren't trying to feel good in the Lord's presence. Right. And, and so the quote that he took says, the repenting sinner must suffer for his sins, but the suffering has a different purpose than punishment or payment. Its purpose is change. So kind of reminds you of the scripture of like the refiner's fire or there's one in Isaiah where it's like, I have chosen thee in the furnace of affliction, which funny enough repeats, I think in third Nephi, if I remember correctly, but it's this idea that he's not going to take away sin. He's not going to take away the suffering of, I mean, sinning. Because the very nature of sinning, like acting contrary to God, right? Acting contrary to his commandments. And so that alone should cause us at least some form of pain. But then it's necessary, like in the story of Adam and Eve, right? Where they said, because of my transgressions, my eyes are opened. And so they're talking. They know that it was necessary, although not completely painless, no matter how much we want it to be sometimes, but it's a necessary part for us to change, to experience the opposition so then we can know more fully and experience the joy more fully. Yeah. The reason missions change people so much is because they're hard. <laughs> it's not an easy thing to do. And so... No. It it 100% does. Like, I, I noticed with, like, depression that because I have experienced like three prolonged periods of depression. After I made it past the first one, I could tell I could feel more love and more joy, right? Yeah. The second time where I like went further, it was like, dang, I feel more love and more joy again. And this third time, as I'm coming out of it finally, um, I have noticed that I have more love and I trust that the, the joy will follow. Right. And it's, it's just interesting to me that in order to feel a greater level of joy, you have to experience a greater level of sorrow. Yeah. Kind of funny how that works. Not in a very fun way or a way that we like, but just kind of an odd, like, huh, fair enough. Yeah. But thinking about that and like what Christ went through, right? To me, that shows how much love I can't even fathom the amount of love he has. Cause it's like, dang, I could tell a noticeable difference the further I went down and Christ descended below all things, right? Like, yeah, the amount of love that he has must be tremendous. And I think that's represented in something he says, and it's actually kind of a funny story, but he's like, I've always pictured heaven where you know, I'm standing there and Christ is standing there and he's like looking over the notes and he's like, ah, buddy, I'm sorry, you missed it just barely by two <laughs> points. And he's like, I've always imagined being like pleading like, no, 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 you, you gotta, you gotta find two more points in there somewhere. Come on. <laughs> like this can't be, please let me stay. Right. Yeah. And what he said is he said that as he's gotten older and realized what grace is and learned more about the character of Christ that he says, I think what will actually happen is that it'll be like Alma where they're like, I would have done anything to not gone and stand in front of 
like God, right? Yeah. Because you just would be so uncomfortable. It's almost like when you know you've done something wrong and you know your parents know, so you don't want to go talk to them. Yeah. Because you'll feel the guilt of what happened, right? Mm -hmm. And so put that on a grand scale because your parents aren't perfect. Right. To then go stand in front of a perfect being would be like, oof, that must be difficult. But he said, I think it's going to be more of the person that's being judged. They won't want to stay. And he said, I think if anybody's going to be pleading, it's Christ. Where he's like, please stay. I paid the price. Use my atonement. Accept my grace. Yeah. I think following that example, he was talking with some of his Christian friends, right? And they were kind of bashing him a little bit about grace. And they're like, well, have you been saved by grace? And he's like, yes, absolutely, 100%. And then he kind of, I don't know if he actually asks them, but he brings up a more important point where he's like, have you been changed by grace? Kind of going back to the the situations where you would feel sorrow or whatever your affliction would be, you would sink really low. Then you would come back up. And in those instances, it's important for us to a realize the eternal perspective and the eternal significance of kind of going through those afflictions and then being able to recognize that you've changed and become better instead of just sitting in those difficult moments and I'm like, dang, I feel awful and I'm never going to progress. And so that's what I try to do every week with my emails during my mission. No matter when or how hard it was, every week I tried to kind of see what he would, what God was trying to teach me. And it worked pretty much all the time to which I was grateful for. I liked your emails. Sometimes I <laughs> write too much. Eh. So that's something I really like. It reminds me of the the scripture in Moses where he says, for behold, this is my work and my glory, to bring to pass the immortality and eternal life of man. When you think about that, this is God's purpose to help us return back to him. So and why wouldn't all of this be for our benefit? And that's what Christ asked of us, right? Where he paid the price of our sins, so then he gets to ask or, like, set the rules for how we, quote-unquote, repay him, right? Yeah. And that's that's what he asks, is that we love God and that we help bring those around us to their Savior. Yeah. And really, there couldn't be a more qualified pair of beings, God and Jesus Christ, to ask us to do something. They made everything. They gave us our bodies. Christ suffered for us. And so why are we so adamant on not doing what he asks? Why are we kind of arguing about what grace is and how it helps us when if we just realize that it's all for our benefit, then what we should be trying to do and focusing our energy is to be using the atonement to the fullest of its power. Yeah. Which is to perfect us, mm -hmm. right? Be therefore perfect 
Hey guys, thanks for listening to our episode. If you like what you hear and you want to get weekly updates with exclusive content and an inside look on missionary work, join our email list on our website. You can go to lumietmedia.com. That's L-U-M-I-E-T media.com. Just scroll down to the bottom and you'll see a little form where you can put in your name, put in your email. It's free. We don't need anything else from you. We're going to be giving you concise and actionable advice, takeaways from our episodes and lessons and experiences directly from the mission field. And so if that sounds interesting to you, just go to lumietmedia, L-U-M-I-E-T media.com. And we hope to help you a little bit more every week. Bye. I like kind of the tail end of this talk because it shifts to, there's a noticeable shift in talking about the, the youth of the church, right? He starts with talking about there are young women who know they are daughters of heavenly father who love them and they love him. Then they graduate from high school and the values they memorized are put to the test. They slip up, they let things go too far and suddenly they think it's all over. So he, talks about the same thing, the young men. They spent, there are young men who grew up their whole lives singing, I hope they call me on a mission. They get their eagles, graduate from high school, and go away to college. Then suddenly they find out how easy it is to not be trustworthy, loyal, helpful, friendly, courteous, kind, obedient, cheerful, thrifty, brave, clean, or reverent. And I didn't memorize all those. I had to look here. What? You don't have it memorized? I mean, kind of. Bro, I spent... Nine months memorizing things in Spanish. Fair enough. I have two languages I'm almost constantly battling in my head. But anyway. I kind of like this, the ending, because it's so relatable, and it's exactly how I am sometimes. So talking about the young men, they say, I'll never do it again, and then they do it. They say, I'll never do it again, and then they will do it. They say, this is stupid. I will never do it again, and then you do it. It goes on, this, the guilt is almost unbearable. They don't dare talk to a bishop, like talking to kind of that feeling of guilt and not wanting to stand in front of these. Or even to our Savior in prayer, right? Or to yeah. your parents or to whoever it is you're supposed to talk to. Yeah. Well, especially in prayer, I feel like that can happen and does happen where you feel so guilty that you don't even want to pray because you feel embarrassed and i think that's out of all those i think that's the worst thing that you can do is stop praying yeah it's true because then you're not even trying to talk to him not only are you physically distancing yourself from like the temple or the church you just stop talking to him altogether, and i think that's not good yeah that's like i can't really stress enough how bad that is because I mean, it's like never talking to your parents about things that bother you, even though they know that something's bothering you. And Jesus knows that something is bothering you because he knows you perfectly. And so why not just talk to the one who can perfectly understand and help you? And it goes on to talk about like returned missionaries who come home and slip back into their bad habits they thought were over. And it talks about young married couples who find out after the sealing ceremony is over that marriage requires adjustments. I just thinking about everyone our age that has gotten married or is getting married. That's weird. It's weird, first of all, but like 
I don't know what they felt. I don't know if they've obviously they felt it was the right thing, but like which I'm I, sure it was. Which I'm well, not doubting. I'm as sure as I can be anyway, having right. not been in the situation. Again, none of us know their situation, but at least some people get kind of a reality check when they realize that, oh, I have to live with this person. I have to make decisions that affect both of us and make adjustments. So that's why I feel like, at least for me personally, I would feel more comfortable being a little bit older and a little bit more mature in that aspect, but that's just me. You're not going to mature until you're 30. You're a guy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, fair enough. It's a good thing that the opposite sex mature faster than us. Yay! <laughs> um, what was your point? That is an excellent question. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it kind of goes back to what we've been talking about in all these cases where they think that there's just two options, perfection and giving up. And so this part of the talk really resonated with me because I'm a perfectionist in 90% of my life. It takes me hours and hours to finish a project. Like it takes me forever to finish a song because I think I need to tweak this drum or add more noises. It takes me forever to finish my schoolwork because I read the textbook a billion times to squeeze out the highest score that I possibly can get. During that one specific semester of school, I was just so burnt out because I was trying so hard and pushing myself physically and mentally. And so I like this part because it kind of changed my perspective in that aspect where he's talking about that change is a process and repentance is a constant pattern in our lives, right? So when we understand grace, we understand that the blessings of Christ's atonement are continuous and is strengthened perfect in our weakness. Well, one thing that I have noticed since I've been home that's interesting is the idea of like whenever it was talked about like doing your best and like all the great stuff that has to do with your results, right? Like kind of who you are as a person and like who your savior is as a person. That would always make me uncomfortable. What do you mean by results? Like what you felt like you achieved? Like what, like the effort I felt like I was putting in. Ah, okay. Right, where like I felt like the girl where it's like I can't even do my best, right? Yeah. And I've noticed that since I've been home, I'm no longer, I don't feel that way anymore. I'm comfortable with my efforts, right? I'm comfortable with the idea of going to Christ, right? I mean, being out of the missionary mindset already is a huge difference. And so, I mean, that alone has probably contributed as I saw it for me because I didn't have to follow this huge set of rules as a missionary. So I'm like, wait, I can mess up and I can go back to being a normal member, quote unquote normal, and be the best member that I can be and progress as best as I can. Yeah. And there's still the divine discontent, right? Yeah. Where it's like I still have a desire to do better, right? Where yeah. 
it can be kind of annoying to be like, ah, I have another weakness and like to acknowledge that. But yeah, I don't know. Like it's, it's something that I've noticed since I've been home and I find it really interesting. Yeah. I mean, I'm glad that I have this perspective now so that when I go back, I won't be as hard on myself because we write. So as missionaries, we write every week, right? To our mission president, kind of letting him know how we're doing how the work is going and all that. And (laughs) sometimes when I feel like I wasn't doing my best, I would kind of give him my worst criticism about myself. He probably would notice that. Every time I talked to him in an interview, he's like, you're really good at beating yourself (laughs) up. I'm just like, yeah. You're like, I love tearing myself to sheds. It's like, it's really hard, especially in a higher way of living as a missionary where you have to follow all these rules. You can't even remember all of them. It's just, I mean, yeah, it's a small it's book, true. but it's thick. There's two books. It's small. It's not really small. It's not really that small. It's small in size, but there's a bunch of rules. But, like, it was just so hard. And... Honestly, I think that's kind of the reason why I came back because he saw that my mission president, he saw just how much I was beating myself up, how much I was just not feeling great as a missionary because there would be so many times where I wouldn't feel that great. And I'm sure I've reflected that a little bit in some of my emails. But, like, it was really hard especially in kind of the tail end of my mission where there was talk of me going home and was like that to me was like the ultimate failure for me right yeah to have kind of tried so hard and then to kind of receive the news that you're going home and i almost wish it was well i don't know because i don't know how hard it felt but like maybe getting less notice that you're going home because there was like two weeks where I was just, I felt awful because the fact of me going home was just staying over my head. And yeah, I mean, I called my mom. I talked to the stake president. I'm glad I talked to my, my mom was, she didn't want me to come home. I mean, none of my parents really wanted me to, she kind of reached out to Brother Hinckley and he didn't want me to because, I mean, they all knew me. Like, they knew that I had been trying. And I think it was really my mission president and my stake president that saw that I needed a little extra help. And after I called President Monroe, after I called my mom, because the call of my mom kind of, she was a bit, I don't want to say hysterical, but that's the closest word I can think of for it. Distressed, I guess, is a better word. I'm going to use that. So I'm glad that President Monroe kind of gave me that perspective, and it helped me a little bit. But kind of the main point of the story I wanted to share is a missionary I live with named Elder Larson. Now, I don't know how much I've told you about him, but he was the new missionary that came 
as I moved into that last area, the last area I was in. So he was brand new, just came from the MTC, still trying to figure out Spanish. I'm like, dang, I was there once. So that was <laughs> kind of interesting to see that from a different point. But thinking about it now was such a big blessing because, I mean, I'm not very open about these kind of problems. I keep them all myself. And when I was younger, it was really hard for my mom to talk to me about these issues because I would just sit in my in that chair right there. I would just sit up in my room and just kind of stew over things, right? You know what's funny? That was me too as a kid. Really? Yeah. I refused to tell anybody anything. I can't say that's... I mean, that's just kind of how we are. Yeah, it took uh, my first bout of depression where it's like, oh, talking to people helps. <laughs> yeah, it's a lot. To where suddenly I've gone like straight 180, right? Like, yeah. Anyway. It's interesting how those situations, but I don't know, something about him made it easier for me to talk to him about kind of the bigger issues that were weighing on me. There was, my first companion in that area was Elder Herring, which he was like one of the best companions I had. I had a lot of fun with him. Nice. If, if we're comparing him to like the companions you have, he was like, the elder Titus of the companions I had. So he was pretty great, and we had a lot of fun. For those who don't know, I talk about elder Titus a lot. (laughs) Yes. I have so many stories with him. It's so fun. To quote elder Titus, he's the funniest person he knows. (laughs) But I think it was towards the end of that, I got a new comp in that second transfer, and I was kind of feeling the the difficulty of the area because that area had been one area and then they split it in half when I got there. Oof. And we got the less fruitful half of that area. And the other elders at Lilithak got about 80% of the dates, <laughs> the baptismal dates. Ah. We had one. So they had four. Or two. I don't remember. They had... So and they then had they kept eight. at... Huh? They had eight. Okay, well, the math regardless of the math, <laughs> that now I realize was not a good analogy, but, like, they had a lot, and then they kept building up. Like, his trainer, Elder Larson's trainer, just came out of training. Then Elder Larson got there, and his trainer, Elder Medrano, he just got out of training and started training him, and they just would put dates so quickly. <laughs> Like, I swear, every other week they had a new baptismal date. It was absolutely nuts. Dang. And which now I think about it may have contributed to kind of like, dang, this is a dead area. Nobody wants to listen to us. They keep getting dates. And so I think at the end of that transfer, because I mean, I had a lot of fun with him and he helped me keep my motivation for Ah. the work. So, shout out Elder Herring. So, I was just kind of feeling, you know, like I maybe wasn't doing enough, that I wasn't trying as hard as I maybe could have. I don't have, I mean, like I said, when I was younger, I wouldn't have a very good way of coping with that. I would just sit in my room and just do nothing. And so, not in that aspect, but I felt myself reverting back to my older habits and not, not working as much as I should not being as entirely focused. And so talking to Elder Larson, 
I don't know if he had the same thought process as me. I don't know what it was because he was kind of struggling too, but I mean, that's normal. He just got there. Yeah. But it's how it tends to go. Yeah. Something about the way we were both not doing well in that time, he kind of opened up a little bit to what he was feeling. And then I kind of opened up, but like, (laughs) and we would talk forever. It would be like almost midnight some nights where our comms would just be asleep and me and Elder Larson were just talking. But every time he would always manage to say just the right things to help me keep going. And we kind of both had not exit interviews, but just like both interviews with the president about just kind of how we were struggling, kind of what we were feeling. And he had some of them first. And so when he got off, he kind of took it like a champ because he recognized he was struggling. He recognized that he needed some help. And he was a lot more humble than me in accepting that help. And so when he got off those kind of calls with the president, he would reassure me. He would just give me a lot of words of comfort and a lot of help to make me feel better about talking. And it's so weird because we both left at the same time, but he was just a new missionary. He had just barely got there. And yet he had so much success. He had so much drive. He was a really fun person to be around. And then till the very end, he was helping me. And we both got on that plane together. And we both ended up back at our houses. I mean, I know now that he was there for me. He mentioned like it's crazy that we were both here we're both at this exact moment in our lives, our point in the missions where we're having this kind of same joint experience, right? And so, I don't know. I don't think I would have been able to handle leaving quite as well if he hadn't been there. And so that coupled with this talk kind of really gave me perspective that I'm not here because I failed. I'm here because I needed some extra help And God knew that. And I didn't know that for the longest time. I mean, we both didn't want to accept the fact that we were home. I still don't. I mean, it's easier a little bit for me because I can go back. But I kind of learned that just having faith in his plan, having faith in that his grace is sufficient, then it just, I mean, it can work miracles. Like in your mission when you were the first hybrid missionary that they were piloting which ever, ever because and they deemed that a failure. And so they're never going to do that again. Most likely anyway. Yeah. At least for a long time. But like, it was just these crazy miracles that are a product of his grace. Yeah. And so and that's my little, you know, scene. kind of my thinking with that is like, I know when I left, like, oh, my goodness, it was like my biggest fear was getting sent home. Yeah. Like, I did some things out of fear that I would get sent home otherwise, right? What do you mean? Did your mission president, like, threaten to send you home? Oh, yeah. Where he'd be like, I'm not here to be with missionaries who aren't serious, right? Yeah. So, like... The fear of going home would motivate me sometimes, but 
I never considered when I left and really the entire time I was in Utah that even if I worked my hardest and even if I involved the Lord as much as possible, that I would be home, right? Mm-hmm. And that's been something that's really hard for me to accept. Yeah. I but mean, that's that's why I enjoyed this talk so much is kind of gave me that perspective and made me realize that these are not products of my failure, but that all of this was for my good and for my experience. Like the, I'm reminding of the Joseph Smith, the story where he was in Liberty jail and he was praying to God to end the suffering that the saints were feeling. Like they had been attacked by mobs, shot at. He was tarred and feathered. He was in jail. In jail. He was in jail when he was giving that prayer. In really harsh conditions. Yeah. Wasn't it winter? It was winter. The cell wasn't big enough for them to stand up. They got, like, no food. Like, it's... It was cold. It was terrible situations, and yet the Lord was, like, he was telling them that their afflictions would be but a small moment, right? And so, I mean, that's the point of suffering, I guess, in these situations, in these times of hardship is that we come back out with a new perspective like you were talking about coming back with a fuller understanding of joy right it's not fun i don't like these periods at all that certainly wasn't fun leaving and experiencing all that but that's what happened and here we are we hit what we perceived was the wrong note. And now we're left with the choice of what do we do about it, right? Yeah. Because we're both at a place where we recognize, oh, hey, we've been given grace, and now it's just our responsibility to act on it now that we've understood the gift that Christ has given us and to trust him yeah. and his plan. And that's why I said what we perceived to be the wrong note. Because even though this doesn't fall into the analogy super great, what happened isn't against God's will because we both tried right, as best we could. And like you said, there's no way we can mess up God's plan. Yeah. Because it just doesn't make sense thinking in this very linear mindset of that we either go his way or we fall and crash and burn. But God's like, no, I can make good out of any situation that you're in yeah. as he has proved over and over and over again. Joseph, that the son of Jacob, says that, right? Where he's like, what you intended for evil or what you have done for evil, God hath made good, right? Yeah. Not that the act of selling him was good, but like he took something that was the work of evil and he used it for good, right? He made him first in command or second in command to the Pharaoh. Yeah. Think about if he didn't get sold into slavery, which even then God would have still been able to work with him. Yeah. What I said in one of my emails and just something I've said a few times since is if you think about it, how hard Satan tries every single day to mess up God's plan and guess where that leads nowhere so me where i am trying to further god's plan 
There ain't no way I can mess it up better than Satan. Even if I had poor intentions, I couldn't mess it up better than Satan. Right? And if I have good intentions... That's even better. I, I don't have anything to worry about. Yeah. That's kind of the main point that I want people to understand from this talk is that if you're trying, no matter how hard and no matter how big of a list maybe you can make of all your faults and imperfections that... Ain't no way you can mess it up worse than Satan. And there's certainly no way you can mess it up if you're trying to move in the right direction. And, you know, the fact that you're listening to this podcast shows that you have good intentions and you're trying to head in the right direction. Read this talk because it's really good. Or listen to it. Or listen to it. Even better, listen to it. Yeah, because he's funny. Yeah, he's really funny. And you can really feel the emotion of... He knows that this is an important topic and... We knew that this was an important talk, which is why we wanted to share. We'll be back next week. We'll be talking about baptism and probably the gift of the Holy Ghost like that comes along with baptism. Yeah. I think that's, that's really when you can start to do some real progress in your progression towards God because that's when you start making covenants and that's when you start to bind yourself more permanently to God. And so we're going to talk about the power that you can receive from that next week. So thank you guys for listening. God loves you. Hotty toast. Thank you for listening to us. This is Walk With Him, a podcast about Jesus Christ. And if you'd like to know more about Jesus Christ, we have a website, which is Lumiet Media, L-U-M-I-E-T, media.com. On there, you'll find stuff about us, stuff about our Savior, Jesus Christ. You'll find our socials where you can follow us and support the podcast. You can also sign up for our email list where we give you just some advice, takeaways from our episodes and experiences that we've had from the mission field. You can join that email list on our website, follow our socials, and if you could rate us, that would really help other people discover the podcast and just start their own journey towards our Savior, Jesus Christ. So thanks again for listening, and we'll see you in the next one. Adios. Adios.